Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of the Marine Corps War College, covering the intersection of strategy, security, and warfare. Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of the Marine Corps War College. Today, we're discussing Russian culture and the cognitive dimension. Russia's 2014 illegal annexation of Crimea has been recognized as a gross violation of international law and norms. In response to Russian aggression, the U.S. and its allies in NATO and the EU have imposed punitive economic sanctions and increased the military presence in Eastern Europe. U.S. national security policy documents characterize Russia as a revisionist near-peer competitor. There are some who suggest we may be in a new Cold War. However, Western approaches towards Russia may be based on a reaction to observed behavior rather than understanding the roots of that behavior. To avoid mirror imaging, a team of experts from the Center for Advanced Operational Cultural Learning at Marine Corps University have spent months developing an analytical framework using culture to understand the cognitive dimension. My guests today are Dr. Blago Tashev, a researcher at Kayakal. He is a Europe and Eurasia subject matter expert. Previously, he's worked in academia and think tanks in the U.S. and Europe, focusing on issues in international relations, security, defense, and political transformation. He has a Ph.D. in international studies. Mike Purcell is a Marine tanker, retired, and Eurasian Foreign Area Officer. He's been a student of Eurasian Affairs since 1992 and has subsequently worked across much of the former Soviet space. His last assignment in the region was as the Deputy G5 for Marfor Eur. He has collaborated extensively with experts in the region and as the director of the Center on Global Interests, a small regionally focused think tank. He now serves as a lecturer for Kayakal. And finally, Brian McLaughlin is a subject matter expert on East Europe and specializes in the Tri-Sea regions between the Baltic, Black, and Adriatic Seas. While serving in the Marine Corps, he held key positions as a Russian cryptolinguist, regional planner at Marine Forces Europe, and Marine Attaché at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, Ukraine. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for inviting us here today. Before we start our discussions of Russia, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Kayakal? What is your mission? Uh, yes, Becky, so Mike, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and show you a little bit rather than tell you. So I've got three postcards here, picture postcards that are in front This'll of you. This will be great for our listeners who have no visual. Love it's it. Gonna, it's gonna be a challenge for you to describe this. You can do <laughs> it's it. It's your job to describe the mission, my friend, not mine. Well, you're gonna help me out. So I, I've, <laughs> I've got faith. So just take a look at these three pictures in front of you. These are Russian postcards printed in 2014. And just sort of from, from your left to right, uh, describe for our listeners what you see, on what images you see. Uh, on the far left, it's a, a very dated picture, I would assume, from like early 20th century, but not really sure, uh, of an elderly couple. He's sitting down, and she's standing up holding her big old hat. And you can see they're on a shoreline here. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's Leo Tolstoy in the mm. Crimea, uh, enjoying a holiday. Nice. All right, in the center, you know this one. A very famous picture of FDR, Stalin, and Churchill. Uh, coming in for World War II. I think they're there for Yalta. Maybe. They're in Yalta, yeah. which is in Crimea. And then lastly, uh, maybe most interestingly, on the, on the, on the right. Uh, it's a more current picture. It it's, looks like a youth league. They're all smiling kids running, and somebody's holding a flag. Microphone's in the way. I can't really see. And this young man has a T-shirt on. There's three young children enjoying themselves. It is a summer logger. And, Blago, tell us what the, which logger that is specifically. Arte. Oh, this is a famous uh, youth camp in Crimea the most popular one in the former Soviet Union. Uh, and that was taken in the 70s. Uh, so I'll, I'll show you as well the cover for this collection of, of postcards. Uh, the, the Cyrillic writing here in a picture of, of the coastline of Crimea again is Nash Krim, which translates as our Crimea. Um, 
what's interesting about this is this is put out by It's Our Task in the summer of 2014, shortly after the annex, annexation of Crimea. Uh, Itor Tas is a respected uh, news organization, as far as Russian news organizations go. Uh, been around for 110 years. They put this out as a commemoration of, of that. Uh, the, the phrase Nash Cream, though, this R, the R refers to is not necessarily Russian citizens or Russia. It's open-ended, co-ethnics, co-religionists, former Soviet citizens, so on and so forth. So what you're actually looking at is a very... Um, sophisticated and high-quality piece of um, maybe not propaganda, but certainly state-funded um, uh, media uh, to support a certain narrative about Crimea and about the Russian world, if you will. And we're going to hit that a little bit later, but uh, I wanted to show you what we do rather than tell you. And, and so what we do is provide insight into the operational environment through uh, LREC, is the acronym DOD uses, language, <laughs> language, regional expertise, and culture. And this is both knowledge and skills. So it's knowledge about the region, but it's also interpersonal skills to work with foreign populations. Uh, we also do social science research, which Blago is involved in more, more specifically. Uh, education, the Rickliff program, regional culture, language, and familiarization for career Marines uh, is, is uh, underway now for, for a generation of Marines. Uh, and lastly, the organization advocates for LREC in the capabilities requirements process, JSIDS for your joint friends out there. Um, and I'll just add on a personal note that, that uh, for me, it's rewarding to work at Kayako in this particular mission as a tanker and a foreign area officer. In OIF-1, I was an OPSO for a tank battalion. I worked for General Mattis. Uh, we, we clearly got the idea that we needed to work uh, and incorporate considerations for civilians into our operational plans. I don't know that we were up to the task, though, you know, and, and consequently, uh, the civilian population got cut up oftentimes in the churn of operational tactical requirements. So things happened that shouldn't have, and things that should have didn't happen because we didn't, we weren't prepared uh, from a capability perspective to understand the population. I think we're much better than that now, and a lot of, a lot of retired general officers that see what we're doing say, you know what, this is something we've always wanted to be good at, we think well about. Uh, it's really heartening to see that you're, we're finally putting our sort of money where, where uh, our mouth is. Great. And well, also, if I may please uh, add, uh, Keiko is part of the Marine Corps University. And we are proud to have <laughs> you. <laughs> so talk to me about the inspiration for the project that you're working on. Uh, okay, so the project's called Russian Culture and the Cognitive Dimension. Um, you know, first that we should review what we mean by cognitive dimension. The current model of the information environment, according to Joint Doctrine, the Joint Pub, uh, has three dimensions, informational, physical, and cognitive. Informational is your data, your, your zeros and ones. You can't touch them, but you know they're out there. Uh, the physical is the infrastructure, your computers, the, the pipes that run your data back and forth, the keyboard, so on and so forth. Lastly, and according to the doctrine, most important is the cognitive dimension. Um, and this term refers to individuals, and I'm quoting here, individuals or groups, information, processing, perception, judgment, and import, most importantly, decision making, uh, which are influenced by many, you know, almost countless factors uh, to include individual and cultural beliefs, norms, vulnerabilities, uh, motivations, education, it, identities, and ideologies. Uh, so that's, that's a lot to get your, your hands around, and that's sort of, you know, again, what we do. Um, I think there's two major uh, factors uh, motivating the, the project. One's external, one's internal. Start with the internal one first. The Marine Corps has uh, adjusted to the environment and is focused on what, what's called operations in the information environment, according to the doctrine. Uh, we're seeing more demand from units out there as the MEF information groups stand up and other uh, MOSs that, that require help in understanding the cognitive dimension. Uh, we're seeing that, we're responding to that demand, frankly. 
Uh, the external factor, you know, maybe is more interesting. We talk about Russia for a second. The geo why, why do we pick Russia for the cognitive dimension? This is the first one, if you will. Uh, it's the geopolitical and nationalistic resurgence of Russia amidst an information a revolution that plays with Russia's traditional strength, uh, whether it's Tsarist Russia, Soviet Russia, or, or, or Putin's Russia, of using propaganda and disinformation to manipulate populations' opinions. Uh, now, when you combine the significant amount of historical and emotional baggage between the U.S. and Russia, um, with Americans having very little direct exposure to Russia or the Russian language, uh, uh, you're going to have a problem of cognition. Uh, when it comes to accurately understanding Russian intentions, behaviors, and motivations, uh, that's hard. It takes deliberate and informed critical thinking to get past oversimplified narratives and cultural bias. Uh, we pick those things up as mental shortcuts in popular culture or you know, history class. Uh, more importantly, maybe we have to achieve self-awareness, how our own uh, insecurities and fears, even at the national level, distort our view of others. I think Kant and other people have been attributed to the quote as well said, we say things not as they are, but as we are. Um, so this project is motivated by the, uh, our desire to help Marines uh, see the operating environment as it really is. That's interesting. When we think of cognitive dimension, particularly as it relates to decision making, oftentimes we think of individual personality traits or hot, cold cognitive biases. So it's interesting to look at it through the lens of culture, which is which is not an individualistic trait, but much more socially constructed, socially conditioned. Yeah, that, that's well said. I think the, the postcards kind of were, were an attempt to get at that. You see that the, it's it's the daunting task of attacking this as a as, as a whole. You know, Marines don't like to do things half halfway. This is something that you're you're never going to be comfortable with. It takes five to seven years of immersion to become fluent in a foreign language. Blago grew up in a foreign language. I learned Russian as an adult. I, I'm, I'm not there yet. People will assume you're fluent if you've spent 20 years learning it. Um, you never quite get there. So being comfortable with that uncertainty and understanding that it's a collective endeavor is clearly important. So when it comes to this project, how is Kayakal positioned to pull this off? Uh, you know, it's a short answer to that, and it's partly sitting in front of you. You know, we're, we're such an intelligent group of people that... <laughs> uh, uh, but seriously, the, the diversity of our staff is, is professionally, uh, ethnically, um, and even you know personality types is, is probably greater than any organization in the Marine Corps. Um, uh, we have folks from every continent, both like Brian and I, who you know had a passion for a particular region or language and studied it, and those that grew up in that environment and have native language skills. And uh, you know when you walk in there, it's kind of like going to the Starship Enterprise, you know, in terms of diversity. And uh, we uh, we have an ability to balance academic research practical experience, military backgrounds, um, and the, the, the uh, I would say, the, the umbrella the Marine Corps University gives us to, uh, you know, to not be focused on, on gear and quantitative measures of success, uh, which is something we've struggled with in the past, but, you know, lessons learned out of Iraq and Afghanistan have finally pushed us to the point where I feel like the Marine Corps uh, prepared itself to do this in a sustained basis. Great. So, Dr. Takshev, for you, how are you approaching a complex topic like Russia? There is a very long tradition, Western tradition, of uh, attempts to understand Russia, uh, this large country which is located on two continents uh, and which frequently isolates itself uh, for, for geographic and political reasons. Um, very famously in 1939, Winston Churchill described Russia as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. To him, uh, the key to understanding Russia was the national interest. The American attempts to understand Russia began in earnest at the beginning of the Cold War. Uh, very significantly, uh, George Cannon, uh, when framing the 
emerging confrontation between the Soviet Union and the United States looked at ideology, beliefs, norms, assumptions as the sources of Russian conduct, not only domestically, but also internationally. So during the Cold War, the United States developed a rich expertise and practices aimed at understanding Russia. Unfortunately, at the end of the Cold War, our strategic attention shifted and we ignored Russia. Uh, however, in the last several years, we began to identify Russia as a, a near peer uh, threat to uh, American security. Unfortunately, a lot of expertise was lost and a lot of knowledge and lessons learned during the Cold War were forgotten. Um, in this context, as Mike pointed out, the Marine Corps has a growing demand for knowledge about Russia. Uh, in response to this demand, Keiko is providing various briefs uh, in, uh, on, on the country and uh, its pol policies. Uh, in addition, Keiko has developed and is currently refining a framework for analysis of the cognitive dimension in the context of operations in the information environment. This framework includes concepts and knowledge organized thematically uh, that aims to enhance Marines' abilities to anticipate, influence, and think about the actions and decision-making of populations in, in the operating environment to achieve desire desired results. Can you give us a little more uh, information on the framework itself? Broadly conceived, cognition is the mental process of acquiring knowledge and understanding through thought, experience, and the senses. Um, our framework focuses on how cultural factors shape these mental processes, uh, including knowledge, attitudes, beliefs, perceptions. Uh, the framework consists of six broad themes, uh, which taken together represent the cultural building blocks of the cognitive dimension. Uh, first, the first one is, the first theme is identity, including how people see themselves and others. The second one is worldview, especially the state's view uh, as reflected in official documents, including uh, national security, uh, strategies, doctrines, uh, Etc. The third one is um, uh, narratives. Uh, this goes to uh, various stories, the population, various uh, narratives that dominate uh, uh, society. Uh, these are the stories that people tell about themselves and, and others. The fourth one is acquiring and processing information, which is literally how people get and use information. Uh, the, fifth, the fifth one is education and socialization. In other words, how people acquire knowledge, beliefs, norms, and attitudes. And the last one is ways of thinking and perceiving. Uh, what people see as important, what is good and bad, why things happen, which is the idea of cause and effect, and what is the legitimate evidence uh, while trying to figure things out. All these six themes are interrelated. Uh, the framework uses a multidisciplinary approach uh, covering various levels of analysis ranging from the state all the way down to various groups in the society, exploring their ideologies, beliefs, norms, assumptions, and attitudes. 
we find these uh, in various uh, areas, ra ranging from Russia's uh, national security uh, documents to influential media outlets, uh, mass education, social media, the arts, movies, uh, even music, uh, etc. All these sources have influence over the, the social beliefs, norms, attitudes, and assumptions, and at the same time reflect uh, existing ones. Um, I'll give you an example. As Mike mentioned, I grew up in a communist country, and um, the generation in this country, very generation in this country, had beliefs about the Second World War, which were very distinct from the one that exists in the United States. Uh, for example, people believe that the Soviet Union single-handedly defeated Nazi Germany and uh, considered uh, the contribution of the other ally countries as negligible, uh, if not counterproductive in some cases. This belief was created and maintained by education, by narratives, by uh, official stories that appeared in the media by commemorating certain important dates from the Second World War. So it took a lot of um, uh, various channels of influence to create and maintain certain beliefs. So, and, and this accounts for why the generation in, in communist countries had very different ideas about the Second World War. This is just one example of how our network uh, helps us understand uh, the development of very distinct cognitive dimension, uh, how uh, narratives, socialization, education, official documents, movies, arts, etc., uh, work together to create certain beliefs and to maintain them. Um, in other words, this framework provides insights into what accounts for the differences between uh, Russia and the United States. Great. So, Mr. McLaughlin, can you tease this out for us a little bit? How does understanding this framework help in a practical military context? Is there a specific case or situation that might highlight the operational value of this approach? Absolutely. In your introduction, you had talked about the annexation of Crimea and how that changed the threat perception of what we see in Europe, what we see in the world today. Uh, the question then, though, is we as the United States of the West see that as illegal, where Russia executed that annexation and they don't see it as illegal at all. So let's talk about Crimea using the framework that Blago just explained. Uh, but in order to get a good start, just as Mike did in the beginning, we're going to uh, take our listeners through and build a little bit of imagery. So instead of looking at Crimea to start with, Let's move northeast, let's move to Moscow. Most people are probably familiar with the Kremlin. Now, the Kremlin, uh, it is a red brick walled structure enclosing 68 acres and all of the buildings of the Russian government. The word Kremlin though, actually in the Russian language, it means a fortress within a city. And when you think about the Kremlin as this fortress, what does that evoke? Well, that evokes one of the main national narratives of Russia itself, and that is what is called Fortress Russia. Fortress Russia, or this narrative, it holds that throughout its history, Russia has been under assault and forced to defend itself from all directions. Some key events tied to this narrative are the Mongol invasion 
of the 13th century, Napoleon's attack in the early 19th century, and of course, Hitler's invasion during World War II. The Fortress Russia narrative feeds the Russian worldview, as Blagwa had described, uh, the worldview as articulated in its national strategic documents. In this worldview, Russia must maintain a robust defensive posture. Today, Russian leaders see NATO, including the United States, as encircling Russia with a clear aim to destroy Russia by any and all means. Uh, NATO, as you're aware, was formed in 1949 to serve as a deterrent to armed conflict in Europe following World War II. The Warsaw Pact was an alliance of the Soviet Union and the communist-led states of Central and Eastern Europe to balance the power within Europe. Upon the demise of the Soviet Union and communist governments of the Warsaw Pact, most of the countries in Central and Eastern Europe joined the NATO alliance. Russia has long objected to the expansion of NATO but had little power to prevent it. Today, however, expansion of NATO towards Russia's state borders is seen by Moscow as an existential threat to Russia. However, this time it does have the power to disrupt this process. Uh, this is especially critical regarding Russia's ability to maneuver within the Black Sea area. And the Black Sea is Russia's vulnerable warm water outlet to the Mediterranean Sea and further on to the Atlantic Ocean. Of course, control of Crimea is central to this defensive posture within the region as it provides one of the very few viable ports for a Navy and because it provides Russia a platform for aerial, deni aerial denial and anti-access. And that reaches the depth and breadth of the entire Black Sea. But military ends only tell part of the story. Simply seizing another country's territory without armed opposition certainly isn't normal. For Russia and for Russians, Crimea is key to understanding Russian identity. For it was in Crimea that in 988 AD, so a long, long time ago, uh, that Vladimir the Great was baptized. Who is Vladimir the Great? Vlad Vladimir the Great is a venerated saint in both the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic traditions. He was the ruler of Kievan Rus, but he was significant because not only did he lead Kievan Rus, but he was the one who, who um, took Kievan Rus and took it from being a pagan state and made them all Christians. This is one of the key pieces of understanding Russian identity. Now, <clears throat> this event, this baptism in Crimea, this uh, Russia's link to this baptism feeds the claim that Russia, or I'm sorry, Crimea has always been part of Russia. Even though Crimea was only incorporated into the Russian Empire by Catherine the Great in the 1700s and was subsequently incorporated into Ukraine in 1954. Now, despite the international recognition of the illegality of Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, Putin's polls, the ratings, they soared back at home amongst the Russians. They completely agreed with this, but that doesn't make any sense. So why is this? Well, many Russians dismiss the Ukrainian claims to Crimea whatsoever, highlighting the mistake or illegality of the so-called gifting of Crimea by uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev back in 1954. Moreover, and in contravention to international understanding of world order and statehood, many Russians dispute the notion that Ukraine has any basis for existence as a formal state, in part because of the word Ukraine itself. In Russian, the word is Ukraina, and Ukraina as a common noun would literally mean borderland, 
and not the, what we would see as that proper noun. Now, ideas such as this are incorporated into Russia's standard educational curriculum and further echoed in Russia's news outlets, in the arts, historical journals, so on. Now, for example, let's return to our image of the Kremlin for just a minute. In November 2016, so about two years after the annexation of Crimea, the Russian government erected a 60-foot statue of Vladimir the Great and prominently placed it just 100 meters from the Kremlin wall in Borovitsky Park. So once again, just reinforcing through all sorts of methods and means, uh, creating that imagery using identity, using worldview, using those narratives to uh, put it into that cognition of the Russian people that in fact Crimea is spiritually and now physically also part of Russia. So it sounds to me like this is not something that your average Marine is going to be expected to know. Because we, you could go and, and learn the deep history of Russia and social influences and how that shaped their political and strategic cultures over time. But, but your average Joe Marine is not going to be not going to be that. And that's just Russia. Then there's also China and there's Iran and there's other parts of the world. Um, so how does Kayakul connect to somebody uh, at UCOM or Mar4Your to help take this deep knowledge and use it as a filter to then understand potential maneuver space or potential military options? I'm gonna, I'll take a crack at the, a, a basic answer to this. Um, you're absolutely right that the expectation is not that you know all Marines learn everything about the entire world because they could deploy to all those places. So we're very, very, very clear in terms of establishing training objectives, if you will, uh, that these things be mission essential. So as a Marine is is sort of uh, regionally focused but globally prepared, if you will, as a commander gets a mission set, it's his job within the training and education framework to establish what his needs are, and then we tailor our support to meet that. At the tactical level, we talk about com the Combat Hunter Program familiar with that? And, and the first step in that really is baselining the environment, and that means uh, applying operational culture so that you can fill in those blanks cognitively to make better decisions. We're not going to teach them where they're not going to remember many of them, although some do, I think, um, all of this, but to make them more comfortable making tactical decisions or for planners at the operational strategic level to, to uh, frame the problem more effectively, uh, that's our goal, and that's, that's how we do it. Uh, Looking at Brian again for illumination on that or concurrence. Now you you cover most of it, Mike. And uh, the the big thing is is the units that are getting ready to deploy have to call Kaokal. We do have the subject matter expertise to walk them through this, and we can easily combine it with our own operational experience and tailor that to what the Marines need. So individual commanders would reach out to you. That's right. In addition, uh, Kiako provides not only training but education. So uh, many Marines are assigned uh, career-long. Uh, uh, they have a career-long long learning as part of their PME. So uh, this is one opportunity to go deep into those uh, issues. Excellent. Actually, yeah, just real quickly, um, anecdotal evidence from or stories from Muse, the uh, a G1 saying, you know, they, they, the Muse went somewhere they didn't didn't expect to. They didn't have any organic expertise within the command group, so they went and found in the manpower system which Marines on the ships uh, had the Rickliff region assigned for where they were going. And they pulled those Marines in the planning group. Uh, and that's, you know, that's heartening for us that, oh, oh yeah, I think it worked, uh, which, is, which is great. That's great. So last question open to all of you. 
What are you reading right now that our students should know about? I, I just finished a book by uh, Isaiah Berlin, uh, a British philosopher and a diplomat, uh, Russian-born uh, philosopher and diplomat. Uh, it's called The Soviet Mind, and it's a collection of essays uh, describing his meetings with uh, Russian intellectuals at the end of the Second World War. And it's, uh, it provides fascinating insight into how the Russians think, how they see themselves and, and Russia in the larger world. Fascinating reading. Uh, I've got a less uh, shorter attention span than Blago, so I'm going to tell you what I'm watching. Uh, Perfect. And these are accessible things on uh, to, to the listeners. So, on one one good example on uh, Netflix is a is a, sh- a Ukrainian sitcom format show called Servant of the People, and it's uh, it, it's very funny, but it also gives you a lot of insight into the human dimension of, of their struggle right now. Uh, it's about a high school teacher who's elected in a write-in uh, campaign for president and his trials and tribulations. Does it have subtitles? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and I would tell you on that, once you watch that, the algorithms will give you other Russian language or stuff from the region, and most of it is very, very good. Um, and then secondly, I'll, I'll, I'll point out a movie that some Americans know about called Leviathan. It was nominated for Best Foreign Movie back in 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, really just an absolutely beautiful, haunting movie on its own artistic merits. Uh, it, Leviathan refers to the state, and it's a, it's about a, a, a man struggling with a, a locally uh, cor- corrupt mayor, and, and how it affects his family and life. And uh, uh, that's that's on Prime, Amazon Prime. If you want to go there, they also have uh, really a, an, an excellent collection of, of stuff from the region. But those two, particularly the movie, are, are really worth your time. Great, thanks. And for myself, I'm I'm currently reading Sailing from Byzantium by Colin Wells. Sailing from Byzantium tells the importance of translators, librarians, and missionaries, and how they took ancient Greek philosophy, and they saved that and rescued it and fed it into the Italian way of thought, leading to the Renaissance, uh, how it impacted the Slavic world and also the Arab world as well. Uh, also, my other spare time, just 10 to 15 minutes a day, I'm learning yet another foreign language. So I studied Russian, Serbo-Croatian, and Ukrainian in the past. Uh, since we have major deployments of Marines going to Norway now, I'm taking it upon myself to learn Norwegian using the, uh, the uh, online free app called Duolingo. So within 10 to 15 minutes a day, I'm, I'm upping my skills in Norwegian. So I now feel like I'm not doing enough with my life. Uh, but I will also say we know we have a Norwegian officer who is on faculty at Command and That's Staff right. College. So you can sit down and, and mm-hmm. talk um, and practice your actual verbal skills as well. That's awesome. So Dr. Takshev, Jim Purcell, Mr. McLaughlin, thanks so much for coming on the show. To keep up with the good work of the Marine Corps War College, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at at McWarCollege. Special thanks to our intrepid producer, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Palma, who I will simply suggest is literally never here when we record, and I thank him. So thank you in in absentia. I'm your host, Becky Johnson. Thank you for listening to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded, innovative podcast of the Marine Corps War College. This concludes the EGA podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the United States Marine Corps or the Department of Defense. You can follow the Marine Corps War College on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at College. And as always, our podcast music is Stuck in Traffic by Ribeiro. Have a great day.